we're back. We're having a quick little conversation about metal in the natural world and the whooshing cycle. Steven, do you want to start with your uh, catastrophe and climate change whooshing? Yeah, man. Thoughts? Yeah, I think that's a good one. Also, there's something that it's interesting because um, we were, I was in Chinese medicine school for much longer than one probably should be. But after the first four years, which is the master's degree there, which is actually the equivalent of the, the PhD here or the doctor, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. uh, I still didn't feel like I, I had it. So I had to stay for four more. Um, pros and cons to that. Just shout, uh, shout out to you guys stuck in China. Anyway, um, part of the reason it was interesting because I, don't, I think anyone who first hears about this five element cycle, you're like, okay, you're like the generating cycle and what's sometimes called the controlling cycle, though that's a bit of a mistranslation we can get to. But the generating cycle is real. And so when it comes to the generating cycle, it's literally birthing the following element. So I think we can all be like, okay, yeah, we see wood, we birth fire. That makes sense. You burn the wood. Fire, you burn the wood down, you're left with ash. That's like that's like earth, right? So ash and earth, same thing. And then you're like, okay, out of the ash or out of the earth, we're going to dig metal but how in the heck do you get from metal to water and nobody has ever explained that to me oh yeah let me hear it water condenses on metal oh i like yours because i've heard that people be like i'm going to use metal to dig for a well which i was Mm. like okay but you're like yours water condenses on metal and the second one would be that the upper the atmosphere could be metal too because it's what separates the earth uh, like our atmosphere and space uh-huh. and so sometimes i think of metal as this like in between thing that's like, like a barrier this barrier yeah and then that would be a canopy that then condenses and then pushes back down Ooh, getting the canopy word in for ancient lungy stuff too okay i dig that and my martial arts teacher though he dropped a third uh, bomb on me he's well this, i'm saying third bomb first two are coming from asher a lot of bombing going on over here all positive bombs by the way um so the one that came from my martial arts teacher his name is Gao Laoshi in, in uh, Beijing, in case you guys want to study with an incredible Bagua teacher. Anyway, he was like, well, what happens when you melt metal? You get water. You get like liquid. Mm, a liquid, yeah. And I was like, oh, snap. Right? Anyone who's played with mercury, hopefully not a lot of you, but you'll all know it's, uh, it is pretty watery looking. So that does, yeah. And then, of course, you know, water grows trees, so so forth. So that's right. kind of like talking about the the element of what becomes liquid in a way too. But I really like how you said it condenses on metal as well. Yeah. And you can even go into like the properties of like the electrons, sea of electrons and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, and we will. Oh yeah. I mean, this, the whole point is like TCM geeks, right? Geeks. Um, oh yeah. So we're going to go to climate way. So it's interesting because if you look at all five of these um, elements, then you can also see how they, generate one another but they also can generate pathological things as well so that's both in this generating cycle and then the controlling cycle we shouted out to that a little bit earlier that's a little bit tricky because controlling is often thought of as a negative thing but if you think about say a liver's function on a spleen it's actually the most and i'm being very clear here the number one most important thing for transportation is not in a spleen or or stomach the number one most important thing is the liver gallbladder. So it's not even – so I know if I've heard since I got back that people call TNT a middle burner function. It's not true. 
It's T and one third T. The other two thirds of the transportation comes from the liver gallbladder. You can see people who who's their middle burner transportation kind of shuts down and they still digest okay. But anyone whose transportation shuts down from the liver gallbladder side, they're guaranteed transportation digestive problems. So that's a tricky one where if it's not controlling, it's actually moderating or assisting, right? It's like too much water is not good for irrigation. So it's that kind of control. It's like helping it not overdo things or underdo things. So whatever that comes out to, I don't think that's what people are envisioning when they say control. I would call it more like assisting, moderating, balancing function. Regulating. Regulating. Yeah. This is really what that, that one jump cycle is. We were lucky. Our uh, first teacher who taught us the cliff cycle told us that it was virtuous and it wasn't a negative thing. Um, of course, it can be when it's overacting, but in its balanced state, it's a virtuous one. You're absolutely and I. You can tell a story, I think, about the Wuxing controlling cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, water puts out fire. Fire mm-hmm. melts metal. Metal mm-hmm. cuts down wood. Mm-hmm. Roots grow through the earth. And then mm-hmm. the earth actually contains all the water on this earth. So true. So, And if that's done in the right amount, it's regulating, right? Yeah. So true. And that's how you, you even said the Chinese one. That's solid, dude. Ke is the word we use for that. Ke. But when it becomes pathological, we no longer use that word. We use the word chung. Is that insulting or is that a different one? It's the same jump. So like liver... Um, uh, yeah. not helping for spleen would be mu cheng tu. Um, whereas if it's helping spleen, same dynamic, but it's mu ke tu. Ah, beautiful. Yeah. So, so climate pathology. Oh yeah, climate pathology. So here we go. So um, when it comes to the climate pathology, you have to think about uh, the four different seasons um, and therefore the, the five different zong. We'll get to that in just a second. Uh, um, but the spleen is encountered in there. And then it's associated climatic function or element. And then it's um, how it balances out. Yeah. So the first thing is uh, we got some wood. And wood, of course, is spring. Spring is wind. And so like the, when it gets to like climate change and extreme weather events, or sometimes what we'll actually refer to as shu weather. I know for you other geeks out there, you'll know that shu is also translated as deficient or vacuity. Um, deficiency as well, noun wise. Um, but it's in when it, in terms of, and this is from the Neijing even. But when we talk about a climate being shu, it either means in its untimely season or in an extreme weather pattern. So the extreme weather pattern would be not a good breeze wind that's helping everybody feel, you know, more yangy and ready to grow in the spring. But of course, like extreme winds, like high winds, tornadoes, things like that. And we've been seeing that, right? The winds are kicking up really high. And then we would know, okay, well, what happens if we get a particularly windy year? It generates the next catastrophe, which is forest fires go nutsos, right? So the fire is not just existing, but it's way too big. So you get these giant forest fires. What happens with giant forest fires? We actually go then into the spleen. So um, this is where we would put that fifth uh, time period which technically relates to all four, but it's, we'd stick it in the middle here because of earth. And I never figured this out until I came back to Colorado. After you get fires, you get fire scars. And once you get fire scars on the earth, it no longer absorbs water and it just turns into these mudslides. And so we had these crazy mudslides a couple of years ago. I was like, that's what they're talking about. 
And then after you get the mudslides, you generate, um, again, like kind of these like slicking, like I think it creates like a, basically a plaster like thing on the soil because it turns it into mud, kind of like concrete stuff, but not quite as intense. And that's what causes all the water, um, uh, inability to absorb water. It's a, it's a clay that then just got just seals it on top. Yeah. And yeah. if the clay just bonds to itself, then it's, I mean, this is how you make a clay pot, right? And that can the water. Right. And it's just all the water doesn't get, it just can't sink in. And then we're stuck with a drought from the ground up. And then interestingly from droughts, we seem to have incredibly wet years following those. Um, and that would be the floods then that come up. And then floods still in excess then would generate more crazy windy things and so forth. So we get like the extreme version of the weather events as opposed to like the healthy ones that are building stuff in our body. Absolutely. That's the beautiful thing about this. I don't think about it as just a medicine. It's like a perspective on the world and you can use it anywhere you look. Totally. Totally. So this brought up interesting things for me because I always struggle with how metal is in in the natural world it's like it's not just you know copper or um or gold or silver it is those things that are conductive but so i've been wondering if if clay is an accurate uh translation or is an okay idea for looking at metal in the natural world and clay is the actual it's the smallest particle of a soil Hmm. so on the bigger scale you have gravel and then you go down to sand and then as you get smaller and smaller, you get silt and then you get clay. And hmm. so clay is all surface area where gravel, you know, you could break it apart and it's, you know, a couple million pieces of sand and then a couple million pieces of sand are these pieces of silt and then a couple million more are clay. Hmm. So clay is really sticky because it's so small. It'll stick to everything. And so part of its virtue is that in healthy soil, it will stick to um, water and nutrients and hold that in. And then create space for microorganisms to to do their thing, huh. um, but in that it's the smallest, you know, uh, piece of Earth that you could ever have. It's kind of like that's what all Earth will turn into eventually. And so Earth, you know, giving birth to metal is like, oh, is that like just a very earthy type metal thing that is then sticking to water and helping with this exchange in and out of different reactions happening in the soil? I love that. That just sounds like it fits the cycle. I mean, I didn't know any of that stuff that you were talking about with the soil science, so that's that's awesome. Obviously, we know you worked that stuff good. But uh, yeah, that's that's a solid point. It's an interesting thing, though, because when it comes to sticky, um, you're absolutely right that the lungs need some fluids. Mm. I, I wonder if there's a way to interpret or understand the fragility of a lung through clay, too. Because no fluids, no lung function. Too much fluids, no lung function. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not enough, and it's too weak and yeah, real. yeah. I'll play really, with that more. Yeah, it's really good. I, I dig it. Yeah, I think I can roll with that. That sounds great to me. Yeah, there's another bit too where there's a cation exchange. So, like, how the clay actually bonds is mm-hmm. through freeing up electrons, which is the same way that uh, metal. metal is conducted. Yeah. Oh, that's so fascinating. So it's sharing like the free electrons that are running around in metal? Yeah, it's making like a bunch of ionic bonds is how it does it. Oh, interesting. Between different parts of clay. 
well, between clay and other things or between clay and itself, which is that, you know, it does that too much. And then you get, we talked about the, the kind of plate on the surface or yeah. the, it also won't give up stuff to the, if like your soil is too clay, you have to add in all these things to aerate it so that it will give up its nutrients to plants. Huh. Greedy lungs? Are we thinking metals, the greedy side of that? <laughs> yeah. I guess so. Or that it just does... doesn't know how to let go. It's just like too stuck. Or like you said, I mean, well, that kind of t- like clicks into the fragility of it too, right? Too much clay, too little clay. Can't hold on the water but or too much water. Very similar to what we need to do physiologically for a lung. Any, that's even balanced. You know, Even Western medicine would agree. When you don't have the right amount of um, water at the surface of a lung, you don't get diffusion nearly as, mm-hmm. as well as you should. And that actually brings up an interesting one, too, because you just said the surface of it, which is like going to the Bagua. That's the, oh, I'm going to butcher this, uh, Dewey, the, the lake. Dewey. Uh, Dewey. Dewey. Yeah. Yeah. Where they, what, is it, Yin is resting on top of two yang lines? Is that, am I getting that right? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. And it means like a mountain swamp, basically. Mm Mm-hmm. Exactly, like water, yeah, shifting in so higher versus lower, and hence the yin is up high. Exactly. Yeah, that's true. That does kind of correlate to that. You're talking about the the shifting in the cations still, or no, no, the fragility of it. The fragility of it, it being the surface thing that we kind of yeah. have touched on a couple times now. Um, yeah, all all of it. Yeah. No, I dig that. And I wonder too if they think about it. Is it just that surface layer that we're talking about or is it you know the entire lake because if it's just the surface layer like that makes a lot of sense to me Mm. um the whole lake seems more watery but the differentiation between you know above the lake and below the lake and yeah and actually this ties into kind of what you were talking about before too the canopy so the lungs are the top third of the triple burner and if they're working right there's never more than a thin layer of fluids up there because they're circulating the rest down the body. Mm. So it's kind of like, yeah, the top of the lake and the rest of the lake would more or less be considered the triple burner. Oh, Asher, great point on clay being the smallest particle and having that sticky cloying nature. And this actually ties us into two cool things. So uh, I love how you're tying that to, you know, the metal concept of free flowing, um, electrons, protons, charge, so forth. And it also really ties into being earth, um, the element of earth and the pathogen of earth, which really is called the chi of earth, but in excess is called a pathogen, which is dampness. So there is a place for dampness. It has to come after dry seasons. Otherwise, there's no way for us to um, moisten things, keep the yang from uh, ascending forever, and we have to bring that yang back down. So there is a reason why dampness generally needs to happen at the end of summer to kind of bring the yang back down as it should be as it's descending towards uh, receding and then eventually storing through the, the fall and the winter. But the key here is that cloying nature of dampness is very similar to what you just mentioned is the cloying nature of clay. It holds on fluids, it holds things, which is why in excess, which is unfortunately what most people's spleen is in modern countries, um, they're really all about holding that fluid into their stomach and not processing it as well. Now, for truly dry people, that's exactly what they do need to do. And for we're a little shout out to the 
you know, five flavors, five colors of food. We'll do another episode for you foodie nerds out there and just people who want to use those concepts as a general guideline for how to understand the world and eat properly and do all those things. But when it comes to um, the sweet flavor generating the spleen or the earth, that's not true. That's not completely true. What it means is the sweet flavor generating the yin part of the spleen, which we call yin nutritive fluid. And so you can see sweet flavors generate fluid in the spleen. Now that's great if we're if our middle burner is dry, that's great. But most of us aren't like rustic farmers trying to make make do in harsh northern China. So I don't think most of us need to really amp up on the carbs and sugars. But for those of people who really are fluid deficient, that's exactly what they need. And then for the rest of us, we just don't want too much fluid because we can't process all that fluid. And that's the pathway to dampness. And so interestingly, when people are taking sweets and um, you know foods, both carbs, sugars, and everything else, thinking that they're tonifying their spleen, they're actually tonifying the yin fluids of their spleen, which really wrecks spleen function. Right. Especially if they were trying to tonify because they thought they had spleen G deficiency and damp. That's right. Very much like what we all had in school, and we were always told to have kanji for breakfast. Now, I had a question. If we do have a damp environment, let's say we have a sticky spleen, yes. how do we break that up? What's our idea? Transform and move. That's our biggie. So when it comes to how do you break up that cloying, sticky nature in the middle, you transform it. And this is a specific word. There's, um, oh, this is next level. This is... Um, People who are both language and TCM nerds, oh, don't worry, we're not forgetting your, your demographic out there, um, you meaning whoever we're talking to, of course, not just you and me, Asher, because we know where we stand, um, which is transform. It's one of the six key words that we use, the six key verbs. Chinese is all about the verbs. If you're going to study Chinese language, focus on the verbs. If you're going to study, study Chinese martial arts, focus on the verbs. And if you're going to study, study Chinese medicine, focus on the verbs. So when it comes to how we deal with dampness, there's six very important verbs that we know. Uh, we won't go into all of them. That actually sounds like another episode. But the one to remember here is transform. And this is actually, um, we'll connect it to another concept, but it's called hua. Um, so just like we know of the concept of qi hua, hua shi means to transform dampness. Now, the two things that you want to take away from this, what does transform mean? Well, there's one thing that we can identify as uh, an identifying factor of many of the things that do this, which is aromatic. So, ho po chen pi sha ren, for those of you who know your Chinese herbs, or peppermint, um, tangerine peel, uh, cardamom, these really aromatic herbs, flavors of anything, really. These are the things that are actually going to lift, enlighten, and really transform. We do use the word awaken for the spleen as well, but here we're really trying to focus on that word transform. And what it then means is, to take dampness or pathological fluid, change it back into physiological fluid. It's a beautiful concept that we don't have to clear or attack the pathogen. We just need to change it back into something that's physiologically useful. And we're actually generating health at the same time as clearing um, a pathogen or illness. And so this is the two things to remember is one is it changes pathological fluids back into good fluids. That's number one. And number two is it happens right in the middle burner. Now, technically, you could transform elsewhere, but if you do look at the category of transforming dampness herbs, they're all really primarily affecting the middle burner, which is exactly where you just asked how to do that. So that's exactly what we want to do. Um, and it's so high up in the digestive tract, 
It's not very easy to pee it out. It's not super easy to circulate it out. It sure is easier to just recruit those pathological fluids back into um, good stuff and then follow the normal fluid pathway cycle. Oh, one last thing about that sticky nature, by the way. And I love that you brought this up because I had no idea that, I don't know, I just, how many of us know these things? For those of you out there who want to learn TCM and you can't be TCM doctors right now, first thing you could do is be a farmer. Second thing you could be is a cook. And third thing, then just go right into Chinese medicine because you've mastered the two things that get you there. Um, so those are two really key ones. But farmer really is the first one. So I'm going to be taking um, a big cue off of uh, Asher's awesome permaculture and farming knowledge and so forth. But um, because you mentioned it was the smallest particle, this actually gets us back to the I Ching, which is that everything at its extreme turns into its opposite. So if you bring something down to its smallest particle, clay, it should shift then into the opposite. Well, what is the opposite of damp and cloying? Dry and metallic. Um, and so you go over to the next one, which is lungs. It's dry, is the pathogen, dryness, and it's metal. And so ideally, that's where the shift then happens. Totally. I'll just add, you know, other things is like the Kung Fu's, the Qigong's, the Tai Chi, Taoist classics, I Ching. All these things really help prepare the mind for this perspective and this kind of way of thinking. Shout out to what Asher just said. I mean, can you imagine the difference between memorizing your channels and feeling your channels? Like one doesn't even feel like studying, you know? Yeah, that's actually how I learned the channels and points. And then you get to the test and they ask you where a point was. And I just go to the body, find out my body, and then guess based off of the multiple choice. And that was good enough to pass. And then the real test is in clinic, right? And being able to find that point on someone else's body. That is so true, dude. Uh, effectively and quickly. Yeah, you see people really just nail that memorization and then have no idea of how to apply it. I like your method better where like you're applying it from the beginning. It might not be 100% perfect to begin with, but that's the sort of thing that just gets sharper and sharper as you, as you practice it. Oh, we'll serve you for life. Oh, yeah. So solid. Um, shout out to our channels episode, which will be sometime in the future. For those of you who are both Qigong and TCM nerds, uh, if you really follow the original Nijing pathway word for word and understand where they're telling you that your pathway goes, they're actually describing a body posture. Uh, and obviously, I give a big hint out that it's a, a qigong posture. So uh, I'll just leave that one for for y'all nerdies to, to stew on. Yeah, I'm definitely going to stew on that. Take care, Al. <laughs>